Get Lit. Alright folks, welcome back to Get Lit, the literary podcast where we take a look at classic works of literature and the people who wrote them. Stephanie! <laughs> Oh my gosh! Just something different. I just, I thought we needed to shake it up. I feel like I should be eating haggis right now. That sounds horrible. (laughs) (laughs) I'd I'd rather not. Anywho, um, welcome back, folks. Uh, We're exploring Gertrude Stein this week, um, kind of as a bridge, actually, in between Hemingway and our Provincetown players, and we'll kind of outline the connections there. Um, But we're really excited to bring this episode to you right before we head out on our tour. Um, Get lit on the road next week. On the road, too. Well, in the air and then on the road. That's right. Yeah. Um, So we're really excited and looking forward to recording in some new places and getting a chance to meet some new people. Uh, And we hope you enjoy the ride with us as well. Um, So this week, I have bribed John. Um, The Newberry Library Book Fair was this past weekend, and I'm a volunteer there. Um, I do the tours and then work at the book fair. And I found a really cool book about Kurt Vonnegut. um, And I was like, perfect, this will be at least three weeks of bribery. Um, So John, this is all you're getting for the next three weeks. That's fair. Um, And that was his bribe. And then, um, oh, actually, okay. So I messed up. Obviously, I'm all about correcting errors, so if you guys ever notice an error in something that we say, please reach out to us um, so we can fix it, and I was notified of an error. Um, so a couple weeks ago, we did Kate Chopin, and I mentioned that her birthday was February 8th, and what I forgot to mention was this is actually also my best friend Michael Natardinato's birthday as well, and as we all know, this is a national holiday, so my apologies, um, Michael, for forgetting to mention that detail about Kate Chopin. Thank you for reaching out and correcting it. Is that a correction, though? (laughs) Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it is, folks. Um, So, happy birthday, Michael, but please acknowledge that I will celebrate Kate's for it. I'm kidding. I would never do that. Um, So, if anybody... from here on out, I'm going to text it, happy Kate Chopin's birthday. (laughs) (laughs) That's rude. That's fine. Yeah, so if any of you also would like to celebrate Michael's birthday, feel free, because it's the same as Kate Chopin's. And if you listen to that episode, you know what day that is. So thank you for that correction. Again, feel free to reach out if you have further ones. Um, Do we announce Get Lit Live? I think we should. Okay. So... We are going to be doing a very special live episode of Get Lit for the first time, which is terrifying to me um, because the behind behind the scenes of this podcast is a train wreck at best. For sure. Um, So we are going to try to do it in front of a live audience, and um, we'll be recording that at the end of August, which will be really fun. Um, So we've invited a handful of our super fans. Super fans. A.K.A. my mom. And my mom. (laughs) Um, And a handful of other friends that I bribed with the, the idea that there'd be food for them um which again we're not above dinner no i'm not paying for dinner if you want to pay for dinner um everybody who's coming super fans uh everybody reach out and place your orders with john he's paying for dinner for all of you thanks all right so um that'll be really exciting you walked into that okay that is 100 percent your fault i'm sorry yeah apologize to yourself i'm sorry super fans it's hors d'oeuvres only. 
There you, uh, who's making them? Stephanie. Okay. <laughs> Great. Um, so with all those announcements out of the way, without further ado, I think it's time for us to head to a little place called Paris, France. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Gertrude Stein is born in Allegheny, Pennsylvania, which is just outside of Pittsburgh, on February 3rd, so roughly five days before... Michael Notardinato, a.k.a. Oh Kate Chopin's gosh. birthday. Is that our measuring stick from now on? <laughs> yes. How oh, close in relationship worst. it's measured to Michael's birthday. Okay. <laughs> um, in 1874, um, making her an Aquarius. Very exciting. And she is the youngest of five. She has three older brothers and one older sister, and she's the youngest. Um, and her parents are both Jewish from Germany, um, Daniel and Amelia Stein. Her father was a businessman, and he also had real estate holdings. So they were upper middle class and did like Gertrude pretty much never worried about money, which is awesome for her. Um, <laughs> And she actually grew up speaking German and English at home, so she knew a couple different languages. Um, when she was very young, only a couple months old, her parents were like, well, this is all that F Pittsburgh has for us, so we're going to go to Europe. So they do. And as one does. As you do when you get tired of Pittsburgh. So she actually lived in Austria and Paris as like an infant into being a toddler. And then they decided that that was enough of that. And so they moved back and settled in Oakland, California. Holy cow. They're just crisscrossing the globe. Yep. Wherever they want to go. So um, Gertrude grew up there, and she attends the first Hebrew congregation of Oakland Sabbath School. Um, and so although she has Jewish ancestry, she, her parents didn't actually raise her religiously Jewish speaking. I'm sure there were traditions involved. Um, and one of her more famous quotes that I think people know... Gertrude Stein, I think, for fostering the work of others mm -hmm. as opposed to writing her own. But she really, she was very prolific in writing of her own work and experimenting with it. Um, and her quote about Oakland is that um, she believed that there is no there there. Yikes. I know. So um, clearly was not pleased with the cultural offerings that Oakland had. Um, unfortunately, in her childhood, like story of every author's life, yes. unfortunately, um, her mom dies in 1888 and Gertrude is 14 at the time. And her dad dies when she's 17. So just three years later in 1891. Wow. So she's lost both of her parents before she's 20. Um, but she still has all of her siblings and they, they remain a pretty close family unit, which is good. I, yeah, yeah, good. Um, so her brother, Michael, kind of takes over the family at that point and makes sure that everybody has what they need. Um, and eventually Gertrude and her sister, her older sister, Bertha, and her older brother, Leo, with whom she is very close mm. for throughout pretty much all of her life, um, they moved to Baltimore to live with her aunt. So the Michael's like trying to make money and support everybody. And he sends kind of the three youngest off to live and get supported by, um, I think it was his mom's, their mom's aunt. Hmm. Well, their mom's sister, thus their aunt. Hmm. Um, and in 1893, she enrolls in the Harvard Annex, which is later renamed Radford Co Radcliffe, excuse me, Radcliffe College. Is that because women couldn't go to Harvard? Exactly right. Oh. Because why should women receive any education whatsoever? Is that a rhetorical question? 
Is there any other answer that you can give? <laughs> nope. Good. That's a rhetorical question. There it you answers go. itself. Mm-hmm. Um, so Harvard doesn't accept women, and her brother goes to Harvard, so she enrolls in the Harvard Annex. And originally, she actually went to school to study psychology um, and studied under this guy named William James, who really was a great mentor for her, thought very highly of her abilities. She helped him with all different kinds of experiments. Um, that would later influence her writing. Uh, she was particularly interested in the, the theories behind layers of personality, the idea that the human psyche is made up of lots of different elements that create a whole person, but some of them can get buried and, and the layers can get confused. And huh. this is actually how she found out she was a lesbian, was unpacking the alleged layers of her personality. She was a lesbian? I mean, yeah. Plot twist? Is it? I don't think so. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So she explores these layers of personality while working with William, and he encourages her, actually, after she graduates, to go to med school. And she's like, okay. So she goes to John Hopkins Medical School, but she makes it through a couple years and starts to fail her classes, and she's like, no, no, this is not for me. Um, so she actually quits, and she doesn't get her degree conferred. It's just med school is not for her. Hmm. Um, so she really doesn't know what to do. She's like a med school dropout. She's very intelligent and, and very has a lots of wonderful skills, but is kind of listless and doesn't know what to do. So her brother decides to move to Europe. He starts in London and, and then Paris, and she decides to go with him, because where better to find yourself than not where you are? Yeah. Yeah, that, let's write that down. That's yes. a good quote. Right? That's deep. What better way to find yourself than not where you are? Someone unpack that. Yeah. Students, if you're listening, extra credit if you write a rhetorical analysis on that quote. Thanks. From myself. Okay. So um, her older brother also is actually in Europe at this point. So, like, they're all just, like, t- touting, you know, all these different locations that they lived Um, And he is an art collector. And this is, I think, one of the things that Gertrude Stein is really known for, is her influence in art um, and understanding of it and love of it. So Michael is an art collector and lives just a couple blocks away from where she and Leo are living. And they start to kind of collect art themselves. Um, So together they work and they purchase things by Gauguin, Cezanne, Picasso, Matisse, all these, like, insane of art. who's who of yeah. like uh art oh, yeah who's who <laughs> yeah of art. who's who of painting impressionists especially right and so because right i guess at that time our modernist movements are really just starting to develop because this is very early i think this is like 1903 so we're not right yet at modernism but the impressionists have been around for long enough where their work is valuable so you know these are that they're the heavy hitters nice um so the right around you know 1903 this is when gertrude starts her famous salons and this again is something that people associate with her um she hosted these she says hair on the side what salon oh for you sure (laughs) salon 
No. Great question, John. I'm so glad you asked. A salon was actually a group of people that would come together to discuss wonderful ideas like literature, politics, art movements, philosophy, okay. culture, etc. It's a club. Okay. And she would host these salons out of her apartment, um, 27 Rue des Fleurs in Paris. Um, and you can still go. There's a plaque on the building there today. So if you're ever in Paris, you can stop by and see where she hosted these salons. Nice. Um, and they were spaces in which she really encouraged these intellectual discussions. And she was kind of really the lady of, of these you know, nights. People would come to hear her thoughts and hear her opinions and critiques and discuss with her. Good for her. Um, right? And so among the people who attended uh, were Pablo Picasso. He did eventually paint a self a portrait of her. So not a self-portrait, but just a portrait of her. Nice. Um, F. Scott Fitzgerald, who would get introduced to Ernest Hemingway through this circle. Um, Ernest Hemingway was there. Sinclair Lewis, Ezra Pound, Thornton Wilder, which I didn't know. That was very exciting to me. Wow. Um, Sherwood Anderson, Henry Matisse, and lots of others. Poets, artists, thinkers, all kinds of people. So they if would come... If you were somebody in Paris, you were at the salon. Hopefully. Hopefully. Hopefully you were invited to be someone at the salon. Um, so she would curate these Saturday evenings. They were sort of set aside. Um, she didn't like random visitors all the time, just paying her visits because it was disturbing her own writing. So she set very specific times when people would come to have these discussions. Cool. It was Saturday nights. Um, and people would meet. So... Um, she decided when she was 29 years old that she wanted to be a writer. Um, she dedicated her work, her time, um, and really invested in writing, which is pretty neat. Um, and she publishes her first book in 1909. So that gives me two years to figure it out. <laughs> if I can do it, no. Um, so she publishes her text called Three Lives, um, which is comprised of three short stories. Um, and it's all sort of around the psychological underpinnings. It also involves race um, and different explorations. But people mostly look at it as a pretty iconic work of her um, psychological, you know, stripping, I guess. Sure. Her degree really coming into play right. in this. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, she would really become a hallmark of this sort of modernist avant-garde writing style. Hmm. Um, and it's evident in her own work, too. Um, so her work is actually kind of difficult to track. I had a really hard time with dates um, because she didn't publish things at the same time she was writing. So, for example, she wrote... The Making of Americans, Being a History of a Family's Progress. That's the whole title. Wow. Um, it's 900 pages, <gasps> and um, it has no dialogue or action, and didn't get published for 17 years. So, like, technically, she wrote it between 1906 and 1908, so right, right around the time that she's publishing Three Lives, but it doesn't actually get published for 17 more years. Gotcha. Um, so her literary history is kind of all over the place. In 1907, um, she meets who would become the woman who would become her life partner, um, Alice Toklas, and mm. they meet together in Paris. Uh, her brother Michael and his wife Sarah, nice Jewish names, um, <laughs> invited her over to their apartment, and they met and met Gertrude and that kind of thing, and they they get together. Was it a setup or no? Uh, no, because I don't think 
That would be interesting. I don't. I wonder if her siblings. I mean, I guess they would eventually know, but yeah. at this time, I'm not sure. Huh. So that would be an interesting kind of thing. Or if they were just like, "Oh, you guys would probably get along." Like, yeah. Gertrude, you need friends because you don't have any. Oh, you have your salon, but no yeah. friends. But you need your friends. Um, speaking of which, she meets a woman named Mabel Dodge in 1911, um, and Mabel Dodge is like. Also a very quirky, interesting character in her own right. She would be worth a podcast, but I don't actually think she wrote anything. Mm. Um, And um, they had like a very tumultuous friendship, but initially they were very close and Dodge was a really, you know, supporter of her work and really appreciated Gertrude Stein's writing and tried to celebrate her, um, but eventually didn't really approve who Stein had chosen for publishing and like got all technical. So um, their relationship wasn't great. Eventually it kind of tapered out at the end, but initially she was very much a champion of Gertrude Stein's work. So Mm. I think is important to mention. Um, in 1914, she writes, this is actually my favorite of her work. Um, piece called tender buttons, objects, food, and rooms. And this work is really cool (laughs) because it's like, so it's broken up into the three, it's three sections, objects, food, and rooms. It's like miscellany. Exactly. And that's kind of what it was. It was this sort of nonsensical collage of descriptions of all of these different things. Um, it, she published it at her own expense, so she actually paid for it. Um, and it doesn't really have any logic or narration. They're just sort of broken up into these separate pieces. Um, it was inspired heavily by Cubism, the art movement, actually. Oh, and that Picasso. Makes sense. Right, because she'd gotten to know him through the salon. She's like, oh, what would this art movement look like in writing? So she used her psychology background and paired it with this art movement to get this piece. Um, cool. So I would recommend either reading, I mean, the whole thing is really cool, but glazed glitter and a piece of coffee are my two favorite objects that she describes. So I would highly recommend that. Um, they're pretty readily found on the internet. So I would, I would think those are good to check out. Um, her style hallmarks of her writing are the stream of conscious, which we actually saw, but it will come over in the future, I guess, timeline-wise. J.D. Salinger was obviously known for writing mm. in that style. He comes after Gertrude Stein, uh, but we, we've heard that before. Um, and she also liked the exploration of repetition and the idea that repeating words and phrases would actually strip them of their context, which I thought was sort of interesting. The more times you hear a word, the less you might associate it. You know, like when you start to say a word over and over again. Right. Cup. And it, what? Yeah, cup, 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 cup. <laughs> um, it loses the meaning. Like you stop associating the word cup with the sound the with object, the word, right? right? And then the word with the object. Yeah, it breaks down. And so she was really interested in that. So a lot of her writing, like one of her other, I guess, most famous quotes is a rose is a rose is a rose. And that's kind of this idea that it's not a, is it a rose or is it not a rose? Um, uh, this so, is not a pipe kind of stuff. Um, yeah, I actually don't know about the tie-in, but like, I guess I can't remember. I think that was in the 1930s though too, right? Was the painting know. of the pipe. Um, I'll have to look that up. So at this time, World War I breaks out. Um, and so Alice, her partner, and Gertrude go to Mallorca. Um, as one get, does. As you do to escape the war. 
Um, and so their relationship during this time deepens is pretty still tumultuous and that kind of thing. But, you know, she continues to write and Alice actually serves as her editor. So they're wow. kind of working together on this this very prolific period. That's romantic. It is. I, I would also think it might be kind of stressful because yeah. writing is such a deeply personal practice. So then to have somebody who you're very personally connected to criticize it, you know, like I feel like that has to be challenging. To Especially navigate. in exile, right? Yeah. Like to do all of this More while, like, while not being in Paris. And not being home, yeah. Right. So they did that. Um, And then they returned to Paris um, in 1916. So the war had started and they were like, well, we need to do something. So this is cool. She buys a Ford automobile um, with the help of people in the U.S. because obviously Ford at this point wasn't an international brand. So she gets this Ford car and one of her friends teaches her how to drive it. And she and Alice actually volunteered driving supplies to French hospitals. So that was her work in World War One, was cool. to transport stuff. So that's cool. Um, she names the car Auntie um, after her aunt, which mm-hmm. I thought was very cute. Yeah. Um, so throughout this time, she's continuing to host salons and she encourages careers. She is credited with coining the term the lost generation. Um, during this time, writers like Hemingway and Fitzgerald were too young to really be involved with the war, um, but didn't really have anything to fight for. They were kind of listless and didn't really know what to do. And so she called them, I don't know, fondly or not fondly, you know, the lost generation. Um, I think it speaks to the fact we so often overlook the big impact that World War I had on, like, people's perception of life. Like, you look at the Dada movement in response to what they thought was just this, the largest, the, the war to end all wars, all this senseless violence. I mean, and <laughs> out of that... The Great War. Just kidding. <laughs> no, but that's what they call it, right? I know. And out of that, like, you understand maybe why she's calling it the lost generation. Yeah. It's it's lost innocence, almost. And it, which I think is maybe, maybe that's a dual meaning of the word. Mm-hmm. Because I think initially that wasn't exactly what it was was the sense of loss of innocence because could you only really see the sense of innocence being lost after the occurrence of the loss aka the great war Mm. so i think that's a good connection to make is that these words over time have adopted much more significant meaning than maybe originally intended Mm. which is kind of cool Um, And so this actually, that's a good transition. Um, In 1926, so war is over at this point, life is getting back to normal, whatever. Um, She's invited to lecture at Oxford and Cambridge. Um, And this was really cool. This I didn't know. She was arguing when she came to do these lectures that culture and art contexts affect the way that a literary work is written and read. And she argued that writers and readers don't always have the same idea about what that context means. Um, So this is the opposite of new criticism, which would come along a little bit later, in which uh, scholars would argue that you should only look at a work of literature in itself. So rather than seeing what was around the work, you would really just focus on the work. So looking at things like literary devices and syntax and diction and that sort of thing. Um, But Gertrude Stein was arguing that, no, it's really important to understand what's going on outside of the work itself. 
So that's cool. Yeah. Um, she writes books. She's written poetry. Uh, she contributes to librettos and in, in opera, uh, which is cool. I think cool. the most significant is called Four Saints in Three Acts and The Mother of Us All were the two pieces that she kind of works on. Mm-hmm. So um, the thing that I think is really cool about her is that depending on what art field you are in, you have a different understanding of Gertrude Stein. So if you're into art, you understood her as a champion for different artists and their careers. If you were a poet, maybe you've seen her poetry. If you liked books and American culture, maybe you knew her as an author. Um, But then she's also, you know, if you're like an obscure theater student looking for something weird to do in your black box at your college, (laughs) maybe you knew her as a playwright as well, because she's written some one acts too. It's a renaissance woman. Yeah, self-proclaimed genius, actually. You know what? Good for her. If you don't brag about it, no one else is going <laughs> Who's to. Who's going to? Yeah. So um, then World War II breaks out because we know that that happened in history. Um, and this was actually the one piece of um, her narrative that I kind of struggled with as I was doing research. So she and Toklas were both Jewish. And they didn't speak out at all on behalf of the persecuted Jews. Hmm. Um, they escaped to the countryside um, in the Rhone Alps region of France, and it's said that they kind of avoided persecution um, by the different regimes because they knew somebody who was on the inside that could kind of keep them safe. Um, but also, Gertrude Stein was pretty well known that kind of thing, so yeah. she avoided a lot of the persecution. And, you know, like, granted, I have no idea what that experience was like. Mm-hmm. And I can't, you know, speak to her experience at all. But I was just sort of a little shocked because she was such an advocate for women's rights and education. Um, Even though now we look back and some of her immigration ideas look controversial now. Like at the Mm -hmm. time, she was very much pro-immigration and that kind of thing. But then... World War II breaks out, and so so I don't know. She doesn't use her 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 persona and her stage and her voice at and, all, and that's what you're finding, right? So I was like, I was a little troubled by that, but then again, yeah. you know, there's a lot of layers to unpack with that, like right. her psychology. So not that I can say condemn or judge, but it was just one of those things that stuck out, and I was like, huh, I wonder why she didn't do that. So <laughs> um, they kind of spend the, the war lying low. Um, and in 1933, she publishes a work called The Autobiography of Alice B. Toklas. Um, it's, it's actually kind of funny. So it's a very witty, irreverent memoir. It actually makes her pretty famous as well on her own right. right? So everybody knew her as this critic and intense person. Um, so she writes this memoir <laughs> about herself through the eyes of Alice. <laughs> So it's like, it's pretty funny. So that's, she writes that. Um, And then the year after that, because her memoir gets popular, um, she's invited, she goes to the United States for a tour. Um, And people loved Gertrude Stein. Like in the United States, uh, her arrival was heralded. Papers were writing about her. She had front pages. Um, People put up signs. It was very exciting. Um, So she goes on tour for six months, travels the country, and goes to 23 states and visits 37 cities in six months. That's ambitious. Right? And especially at the time when, like, okay, it's 1934. I mean, like, what? Cars can go, like, 
15 miles an hour, 10, 20. Well, there's no know. highway system, so. Right, so, like, she had to get places. So I'm assuming she used a railroad, but still, slow yeah. going. Um, so she continues to write, she tours, she hosts her salons um, until around 1938, uh, when she sort of starts to become a little bit sicklier and, and turns inward. Um, and she'd had digestive problems all of her life, but uh, they eventually discovered that she had stomach cancer and mm. she dies July 27th in 1946. She's 72 um, and she's buried actually in France. She's interred in Paris. Um, so you can see her there. Um, and Alice, when she died later, is buried alongside her. Um, so she and Alice were indeed partners for life for f- over 40 years. Good for them. Which, right? Um, so that was interesting. I didn't, you know, some of these authors I come in with a lot more background knowledge on just because I teach their work. And Gertrude Stein I've never taught, um, but was always someone that I taught around the people I taught. Um, kind How of could in you not? Conjunction, exactly. So it was cool to do the research on her and find out a little bit more about her life and her legacy as an author instead of just this other person who supported authors yeah. and that kind of thing. So that's her life in a nutshell. Nice. Yeah. I like her. I think I'd want to go to a salon. We'll host one. Yes. <gasps> Wait. The Gitlet Salon. That would be so cool. Yes. We'll see if Gitlet Lives isn't a total train wreck. <laughs> If it's not, we should definitely host a salon. Yes. Folks, let us know all of your thoughts. This is how we plan things. One of us has an idea, and then it explodes. And it is a disastrous failure or wonderful and great. And honestly, both experiences are equally worthwhile. Great. So if you have ideas about how we should host, run, and or do a salon, let us know. Um continue to share us. We've really enjoyed uh, the dialogue that we've had with different folks on on social media um, and all kinds of stuff like that. So thank you so much for the support. It really means a lot to us. It's always really cool to see. Um, So please, if you feel that you would like to share us and get the word out there, um, or let us know what we're doing wrong. We're happy to find out. Constructive criticism, please. (laughs) (laughs) That was, the birthday was constructive. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, great. So we look forward to going out on tour, and we'll see you guys in Provincetown. Thanks, as always, for keeping it lit. <laughs>